When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everyone. We're back, and this is episode 101, Tutorial Hell. I'm Matt, and that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing how easy it is to get bogged down in tutorials, what's good and what's bad about them, and finally how to break free from their grasp. Then we'll be covering Apple's move to ARM in our web news. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, or join us on our Discord server, or of course, just share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points, so Mike... Please take it away. All right, what a slick new intro there. Pretty, uh, pretty stream like streamlined. I deleted a lot from our doc. We have like a templated doc, and I deleted a lot from it actually, which is it felt awesome. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so weekly pain point for this week was uh, doing my new desk setup. Um, it wasn't a huge week like pain point, but it was kind of annoying having to like you know take everything apart. I. Took ripped out all the wires from my computer, ripped out all the wires from the, from the ground, took them took them all individually out, and then one by one, after I set up my new desk, I would put them back in one wire at a time so that I could properly cable manage them so that they don't look terrible. Uh, but I am happy with the result. Um, I have an, a bigger desk now, and I'm able to fit my computer on my desk, which I've always wanted to do. Uh, be able to see like the you know the internals and stuff like that because I, I like I like my hardware in there. Um, plus just have more room. I have a monitor that I want to add. So triple monitor setup. Uh, one of my monitors actually died recently and I had to take it apart and I found the motherboard of the monitor and I found a replacement on eBay for like 20 bucks. So I'm hoping that that replacement, because the, the monitor, I think like the screen works fine. It'll work for like 20, 30 minutes. It's really indeterministic, perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden it'll start flashing on and off flashing on and off and no matter what i do like turning it off uh whatever the only thing that helps is leaving it off for a while so i think just based on my electrical knowledge it's a capacitor issue so some capacitor is faulty and after a while it just starts to crap out give the wrong voltage give the wrong amperage and it's just not enough for it to turn on and off so i'm hoping that a new motherboard will fix that We'll see what happens. I'll keep you guys updated. What about you, Matt? It's probably a transistor, Mike. You should probably go start diving into your transistor no. knowledge. <laughs> no. I love so much that we had that conversation. I think it was like two or three months after that course. And I'm just like, Mike, can you tell me what a transistor is? And you're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> and we had a full, I don't know whether it was the full course, but there was a fair bit of that course talking about transistors. And like, all we basically did was learn or at least from my knowledge, from my, like, memory, all I remember doing is sitting there looking at diagrams and trying to memorize the different configurations you could put a transistor in, but the actual practical knowledge was completely lost on, well, you and myself. I knew it was a switch that's, like, a, like an electrical switch-like thing. That's all I really knew. I feel like that was a disaster. That was a bad yeah. time. <laughs> that was yeah. a, I, don't know, I don't know whose fault like, it was, well, but... All the different transistors is my problem. It's like I understood it was a switch and I understood that, you you know, you put current into it and it turns on and off. 
uh, just like you said, but I didn't understand why you need so many different types and stuff like that and why, I don't know, the calculations were a little bit a little bit all over the place as well. Do you know what you know what was weird about all those courses actually, and this is not not my weekly pain point, but uh, was that those calculations actually I'll say this, all the calculations that we did never really became muscle memory. I think the closest that it became that muscle memory the closest that it, that I came to muscle memory was in the first electrical course where we were learning like the there was like the loop method and like all these other methods to calculate voltages and currents and stuff like that across different parts of a circuit and that was the closest I became to muscle memory and and to be honest it's the same with math courses just in general college high school everything you go so quickly through it because obviously you can't be sitting in class doing the same transistor circuit or the same Laplace like transform for all of like a year or something but you never get that muscle memory. I'm never like, oh, that's Laplace. Or, oh, that needs like a transistor circuit fit. You know what I mean? It never feels like that. Um, I guess that's kind of a part of tutorial hell. <laughs> that I never thought of right until now. But anyway, uh, my weekly pain point is actually kind of a good one-ish. Is not finding collections sooner. So I uh, fully jumped in on the uh, Microsoft Edge. The new Edge experience. The one that runs with Chromium. And uh, I started using collections on my PC here. Uh, now, it's not on Android yet unless you're in the beta uh, chain or whatever they call it, the beta program. But I started using it on my computer and I just like loaded all of my social media things that I need, like the Facebook Creator Studio and stuff like that, into this collection. And I can literally just click, or I think it's right click, and just say open all of these in a new window. So if I need to go into social media mode, I can just open my social media window, do all my social media stuff, this and then just close the window and be ready again. So I'm going to use this for the podcast as well because we have some links we'd like to highlight from, you know, different sources, Stitcher and all the rest of it. So it'd be awesome to be able to just have all those in there, say open a new link, grab all the latest episode, uh, like links to the episodes or whatever I need, and then just, then just close it up. So great UX thing. If you haven't tried collections yet, Please give it a go. You can do more than just bookmark links. You can do text and I think images too or something like that. I just started using it, so I haven't discovered the full power, but it's awesome so far. And uh, with that, I'm just going to kind of dive in. We only have one sort of segment, but we have, uh, I mean, other than web news, of course, but we also have like a bunch of subsections. So, uh, and we may release this as like a Medium article or something. Uh, I'm not sure. Like this is a pretty big piece of show notes because I'm just going to, that I'm going to like sort of, or that I wrote and I'm going to read from obviously. So, uh, but anyway, what is tutorial hell? The only segment here with a bunch of sub segments. So the first sub segment, what is tutorial hell? Big spoiler there. Uh, tutorial hell is uh, when you go to learn something using tutorials, whether they're like video written school or otherwise, and you get bogged down into continually learning without ever using your knowledge for anything other than the next tutorial that you're going to do. So how do you get stuck in tutorial hell? So you can very easily get stuck in tutorial hell, uh, oftentimes by just looking at the bigger picture and realizing that there's a lot more to learn. So if we just take free code camp for an example, uh, the first three certifications I see when I log in are uh, responsive web design certification, JavaScript algorithms and data structure certification and front end library certification. Now, uh, from my count, there are currently on when I log in anyway, there are uh, 10 certifications and there's an 11th option there. So there's another like section there, but that one is for uh, coding 
excuse me, coding interview prep, which contains, quote, thousands of hours of challenges. Um, so, I mean, obviously very useful tools, but, you know, they're helpful and they're free and you can learn a bunch about them, but they're pegged at 300 hours estimated to complete each certification. So we're talking about if you want to just jump into JavaScript and HTML, CSS stuff, we're talking about 600 hours of learning. So that means if, you know, for those of us that are only dedicating an hour per evening to learning because, you know, we're working a full-time job somewhere else or something like that, uh, assuming you actually did every single day in a year, you would only be through the first certification and only 65 hours into the next certification. So again, these are just our estimates too. You might be faster, but you could also be slower if you're brand new to just tech stuff in general. And so, you know, that's a, that's a lot of time. Now, the reason why I bring up free code camp is just because yesterday, actually, I was thinking about maybe, you know, maybe I should try, try some new tech, uh, just sort of upgrade my knowledge across the board. I'm a jack of all trades. I kind of bounce around to business admin, to web flow, to just building custom things, to CMSs. I'm all over the place and system admin and all the rest of it. So I was specifically thinking that I'd want to learn maybe some more JavaScript because I did some earlier this, uh, did some earlier on a, on a client project and there's been some big developments. Uh, so I don't know, maybe Mike can chime in here, but my knowledge of JavaScript might be like ES4 ish. Like I always used VARs and I always use, you know what I mean? Like I was sort of like, I never used any of the new stuff. I never used lets. I never let to like declare a variable. I never used const. I never used any of that stuff. I was, I'm very much like, if statements and vars and global vars and i never returned anything i just you know, you know what i mean i was using it to control the ui and i never needed to upgrade my knowledge it's sort of like make the menu disappear okay and that's it you know it's not like a big security risk or anything so uh i don't know where, where you would say my knowledge would be is that like es4 es5 I don't, I don't think it's about es4 es5 or es6 uh i don't even know if there was an es5 i thought they skipped one uh, but regardless, there goes um, my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Regardless, I think it's more just your your knowledge is more just uh, UI manipulation, basic UI like UI structure knowledge of JavaScript rather than in depth like <clears throat> you know needing for like massive API call statements, massive filtering. Like you have you don't have to deal too much with arrays in your day to day life. Um, you don't have to deal too much with like manipulating data and like, you know, forming it in a way to display it in a different way, stuff like that. Like you don't, you, you don't need those skills. So you never went in there. So it's not really, I wouldn't say like you're stuck in an ES4 or an ES5 or an ES6. It's just your, your more, uh, your JavaScript knowledge is based on your usage. So you're more of a front end, um, manipulation javascript knowledge rather than any sort of business logic and stuff like that right okay yeah fair enough um yeah so i mean i do a bunch of js i guess with webflow to make custom things but it's all things like oh we only wanted three things to show up and the, the webflow control isn't easy to control here for whatever reason so we're gonna hide one with js and that's basically it mm -hmm. uh yeah okay so fair enough so um Basically, I was thinking, you know, specifically, I'd want to learn more more JavaScript, just straight up, and then just dabble a little bit in Node.js. I hear about it a lot, and I don't know much about it other than, like, the name and stuff like that. So just, you know, just for understanding so I can have a conversation, more or less. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, I want to do that on on 
free code camp, and I absolutely could. Um, but there's <laughs> there's a lot there. Uh, just to be totally blunt. So, uh, let's say, for example, if I wanted to do, you know, do exactly that, I want to increase my JS knowledge and I want to dabble in, uh, Node.js, uh, I absolutely could just jump right into the lessons. I could find the Node.js lessons, do those, find the JS lessons, do those, you know, whatever. But let's just hypothetically say, because some of us, some of us, a lot of us are sort of completionists and we wanted to actually complete everything along the way. Okay. So we wanted to complete everything along the way, hit Node.js. And, you know, kind of do that intro to Node.js stuff. I would have to do, according to the estimate, over 1,200 hours of training. Because this, this would include responsive web design cert, JavaScript algorithms and data structures cert, front-end library cert, data visualization cert, excuse me, and then a, like a little bit of the APIs microservices certification until I got to the second subsection of that, which was entitled Basic Node and Express. So this is how people kind of get bogged down because they might think, oh, I'm going to learn these few little things that I learned in terms of, you know, stuff I heard about in web dev. Like, oh, no, JS is big. I'll learn that. And then when you get to free code camp, again, great resource, not complaining about it. But then you might think, whoa, there's a lot I don't know here. I should probably just start at the beginning. And now you're looking at 1200 hours of training, which is like, there's a lot. <laughs> like that's a lot of training. Um, and especially if you're working, trying to dedicate it an hour a day. And we're talking 1,200-ish days, plus the little bit left in that other one, like I said, that, that last certification course, just to get to the node stuff. It's a lot, okay? It's 150 so, full days of work, like eight-hour days. Yeah. Like, like we're talking about, you know, nearing half a year in if I just, just straight up did it. And so that makes total sense if you're a person that says, like, I'm not going to go to university. I'm going to go to free code camp. Because free code camp... They give you certifications. There's projects you can work on. You know, they have people that have, been, that have been hired by big companies like Microsoft and stuff like that. So absolutely, totally valid resource, totally valid, you know, sort of online school thing. It's free. It's a great resource and everything else. But just if, if you're trying to go in there and you're like, hey, I'm just going to like sort of dabble like I was going to. Um, I kind of wanted all the check marks and I kind of don't now. <laughs> so like, I was like, oh, I'll just get the certs. And I was like, oh, maybe I won't get this, just get the certs. <laughs> but anyway, um. So you can see just how easy it is to get to get bogged down in tutorial hell. Uh, when you're first learning about web development and design, you know, a bunch of key terms kind of get thrown at you. So I'll just kind of throw some at you right now. HTML, CSS, JS, jQuery, SAS, NPM, Node.js. And that's just the beginning. There's a bunch of other stuff out there. Redux or redo or whatever they call it. Uh, React, all the rest of it. It just goes it just goes crazy. And so you can see how you can kind of go down that rabbit hole where you're like, I don't know HTML. I'll just get the cert. I don't know JavaScript. I'll just get the cert data structures. I'll just get, you know, and it just, it gets out of control. Like it, it, it's out of control. Um, I don't have all these certs and I'm able to do a bunch of stuff. Although to be fair with that, Mike and I did go to classic training at schools, but not for web development for tech stuff, which was related. So it's like tech is all over the place and this is how you can get bogged down. There's just so much to learn. There's so much that you can like zoom out and be like, damn, like, Mike and I are per, per, like from our college are more equipped to use a web portal to tell a microcontroller to turn on a light than we are to do a website. Like in terms of our classical training, that's sort of what we were learning. Like use Bluetooth, but not just like go into your phone's menu and use Bluetooth. I mean, buy the Bluetooth chip, hook it up so that it electrically works and is safe. Make that Bluetooth chip broadcast, get your phone to talk to it. 
then get the Bluetooth chip to send a signal to this chip and then get that chip to, you know, that's, that's what we're classically trained in. So it's, we're, tech's all over the place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like imagine getting into a tutorial hell where you zoom out and you're like, man, I should learn Arduino stuff or like, I should go even closer to the metal as we've covered in another episode. I should go even closer to the metal and like, not just learn Arduinos. I should do my own drivers and stuff. It's out of control. Like it can get out of control really quick. So the problem with tutorial hell, okay, is that you may think that learning more of anything is, is a good thing. And it, and it can be right. But when it comes to web development or other programming languages too, to sort of narrow this conversation down, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to understand and a lot to remember. So if you continually learn for years and years without ever putting it into practice, then you'll forget a lot of the things that you learned years ago. Now that's going to happen regardless. Of course, I don't remember derivatives all that well. I would have to, you know, do look it up again, figure out how to do calculus and stuff like that. But things like free code camp and other tutorial sites offer the ability to work on projects so that you exercise your knowledge. So tutorial sites and various courses, like I said, Free Code Camp, they have identified this problem. And that's why it's like, hey, you know, go work on this project. Hey, here's some interactive activities, stuff like that. But personally, and this is just my opinion, I find that it that the best way to retain knowledge is when you work on a project for yourself. Because then you actually have skin in the game. It's your project. And you want it to be awesome. It's not some tutorial telling you pull data from this API and make it look nice. It's you actually saying, I want a movie app. I want a collector's app. I want a stickers app, whatever it is. And you want it to be awesome. And so you have skin in the game then. Now there also comes the obvious issue of money. So when you're learning, especially if you're learning full time, you're not working in the field that you're learning for money. You're not a professional in that field. Usually, sometimes you are, but usually you're not. And therefore, you'll often hit a rut where you're either just rushing through your tutorials or your homework, if you're being classically trained at a school, just to get it done so that you have more free time and or, you know, time to work at your day job to continually fund your learning. If you're a person that's maybe going to night school or maybe working nights and then going to school during the day, you're going to just rush that homework oftentimes just to get it done so you get your grade, but you're not getting as much as that knowledge as you would if you were able to sort of calmly go through it and stuff like that. So money becomes a problem. Um, also, if you are working professionally, so in the case that you are working professionally in the field that you're learning and you're just taking more tutorials to upgrade your knowledge, that's totally fine when people do that. And I was, like I said, I was dabbling into that, but be aware that you might just be tiring yourself up too much. So uh, out too much. So if you work all day in a client project and then you start and finish that and then you work all night on upgrading your knowledge over a long period of time. So you just do this for week over week over week over week. That's a pretty hard pill to swallow. And you might find yourself resenting the work you do. I hate this JavaScript stuff. I hate websites. You know, I hate the tech industry. I hate talking to people. I don't want to deal with these tickets, whatever it is that you're working on. You can easily find yourself doing that. And I know that some people are really go, big go-getters and they don't care, or maybe they're super passionate about programming in this case and they don't care. And any free moment is a free moment to code type of thing. But a lot of us, we have a bunch of other hobbies or a bunch of other interests. And if you start taking time away from those unnecessarily or just too strictly, like if you're too strict on yourself and you're just not playing a video game or you're not watching a movie or whatever, then you're going to actually like seriously start to resent your work. In most cases. Um, now, I want to kind of switch gears briefly to say that there are good things about tutorials here. Okay, so 
you know, tutorials offer a structured way to get from zero knowledge. So if you're completely lost, you, you can just go into a tutorial and it'll guide you through it. You don't even know what a word processor is. You can go into there. Now, if you're completely lost, okay, like I said, you can find progressively easier and easier tutorials out there down to literally how to turn on your computer. So if you're like, I want to be a web dev, but I've never used a PC, you can find a tutorial through turning on your PC using Windows through then making a website. Like it, there is, there's tutorials everywhere and that's a structured way for you to do it instead of just jumping in. Um, that's especially true if you're a person that maybe doesn't have a huge budget, you bought a computer and you don't want to break it. I mean, turning on a computer is pretty easy, but you know, if, if you're a, if you're someone who just was only exclusively working in a field where the computers just were nowhere, there's a path, right? That's the point. There's a path no matter where your knowledge lies, basically. Now, tutorials um, have various mediums like uh, podcasts, videos, uh, written parts, uh, activities, etc. So if you're a person that is wants to listen to tutorials, like maybe we're kind of being, this is kind of a tutorial-ish thing. So you might, listen, might be listening to this on your commute. Uh, maybe you prefer videos. So as you fall asleep, you just sort of watch videos. Although whether that helps your learning as you fall asleep, I don't know. Um, but maybe you're a person that likes to read, so there might be written parts, um, there's activities, so maybe you're more of a go-getter, but you're not really sure how to start your own project. There's, like I said, Free Code Camp, you you do the code live right there, and there's like interactive activities, and then there's also other stuff in Free Code Camp as well, which I'm not going to get into. It sounds like this episode is sponsored by them, it absolutely isn't, it's just fresh in my head because I was doing it yesterday, so just, just an FYI to everyone out there. Um, tutorials uh, are structured, just straight up. Tutorials are structured. Uh, they end, right? You do the tutorial, blah, 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 blah. You're done. And when you're completed a tutorial or a cert or whatever it is, you've gained all the knowledge on X topic, right? That this particular service or this particular instructor deems necessary. So you've completed something. And tutorial hell comes from going from tutorial to tutorial to tutorial, not taking a tutorial, right? And if you're self-taught, right, tutorials might point out small missing pieces of your knowledge. Things that are just, things that are just, you just don't think of. Uh, a prime example, after me yesterday in CSS, actually. So I know that, obviously, inline stuff takes precedent over stuff in your CSS file. I did not know, actually, that IDs take precedence over classes. I always just hierarchied my document so that the IDs came last like are after the classes which because it's css so there's like the hierarchy there too um not to not to get into the weeds on that but the point is it didn't really affect me all i did was like have my ids below but now i know just like a little thing that now, now i'm gonna be able to write my id when i think of it kind of thing so just something i didn't know because i'm self-taught so for the most part now with that being said you know back to the tutorial hell ish of this <laughs> uh how to escape tutorial hell. So escaping can be a matter of just getting fed up with your tutorials and just, just straight up stopping. But in my opinion, anyway, that's not the greatest way to handle it. Cause oftentimes you'll, you have worked until you just can't work anymore. And then you might just not come back. And all that time that you spent doing those tutorials are for nothing. Cause you're just going to forget it. If you even ever come back to that field or that tutorial ever again, anyway. Now, instead we recommend a couple of methods. So these are just sort of my own methods that I made up and I'm sure you might have more and hit us up on social media if you do, but, uh, method one. So choose a project early in your learning process. Okay. That you want to start. Let's say it's an app you want to make and then learn. Okay. Via the tutorial so that you can apply that knowledge to your idea and start building your idea. 
Okay. Now let's say you've, ex let's say you're worried and you're like, well, I want to build this big app and it's crazy. And I've only learned the UI stuff. In my opinion, you've only learned the UI stuff. Let's say you're taking an online course in which there's no time limit to complete it. So you're not going to like a college university. You're going to an, uh, learn at your own pace. You might learn all the UI stuff and then build the UI of your app. And then now you're sort of refreshed. You've Googled a bunch while you're working on that. And you've learned a bunch from that Googling and you've learned a bunch from doing this practical thing. And now you're ready to go back to the tutorial and learn how to pull the data from the API, for example. So that's an example of you're not necessarily tied to the tutorial unless you're being classically trained in a college or university, of course. Um, now, method two is the opposite side of that. So traditional learning straight up. So method number two is traditional learning via a boot camp, um, a college or university or online learning again, like free code camp. Um, they offer a structured way to learn without going overboard. So boot camps are usually a matter of weeks. So if you just want to eff effectively sort of cram all the knowledge you can into your head as quickly as possible, just to get started, then you can do a boot camp. That's something where you don't want to take a break to start your own project. You don't want to, you just want to go this is where, this is what I would, this is, you just want to hit the go button, put the play button. This is what you want to do. Boot camp for the most part. Uh, college university programs, right, are, are a little bit more drawn out, but they're obviously more classic learning. And they're two to four years in general, depending on what you're going for, depending on where you are in the world. Two to four years and they're more structured. So maybe you want to work on your project during your summer vacation if you have that. And you can sort of play with your courses a bit. Sometimes, depend again, depending on the institution, you can move your courses around. You can uh, get exemptions if you know stuff already, if you've taken other courses and that type of thing. So college university programs are, are great if you want a more structured two to four year. Boom, that's it. Uh, free code camp again, while you can go overboard on something like free code camp, they offer, you know, structured certifications. So you can choose a reasonable goal for yourself. Like for example, I'm going to do two certifications. So that's 600 hours. You know, that sounds like a lot, but if you're doing this instead of going to college university, that's not all that much. You get those certifications and then maybe you start your job search or start working on the project that you want to work on for yourself. And the best part about online learning, and this is just a general note for not just free code camp, but for other ones too, is that typically, and it does vary by platform, you can go back and redo parts that you may have forgotten. Uh, or maybe you can, when you need it, you can actually just jump ahead. So you can jump back like, oh, I forgot how to do inputs. You can go back to the input lesson or, oh, uh, I need to just learn the Node.js thing. I don't want to do all these other certs that are sort of quote unquote in the way. I just want to know you could just jump right to the Node.js thing. So again, varies by platform, but oftentimes with online learning, it's a bit more flexible where you're like, I just need to know how to quickly pull data. You can go and find that lesson and just do that exclusively type of thing. So that's how you escape tutorial hell. Uh, that's sort of my capstone, if you will. I'm sure Mike has some comments and I'll let him sort of take it away. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a good amount of information. Like I think you broke it down really well, start to finish. I didn't want to jump in too much because uh, it was just a good flow. And I think it's important to get all that out in one go, because if I would have jumped in, there was a lot of like rep repetition I would have done. Um, but to cap it off, um, the biggest reason why people get stuck and myself and other people I've talked to get stuck in tutorial hell is because they think they need to know every little thing about the subject that they're studying before they can get a job in it or do the project in it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if your goal is to get a job in, in web development, 
you don't need to know every in and out of JavaScript. You don't need to know every in and out of HTML. You don't need to know every in and out of, of CSS. You don't need to know all the frameworks. You don't need to know every little thing that you think you might use. Again, and that's, that's the big thing you might use when you're in the, in the field. Because the main thing that you need to know how to do is learn and solve problems. That's it. So if you have... If you're confident in your ability to, you know, have a problem in front of you and you're able to Google your way out of it, you're able to, you know, get the knowledge for that through the tutorial or through something else uh, to solve the problem or to create that UI or to, you know, create that database structure or whatever, whatever you're doing. If you're confident that you can take a task and do it through learning like not just do it, like, you know, turn off the internet and just write it out all out all, all on one. No, through learning, because most tasks require you to go back and look at the best ways to do them, regardless of how much you know. Because let's say that you've been working on UIs for a couple, few months, uh, and then all of a sudden you have to go to the business logic side of it and do some JavaScript. After three or four months, you're going to forget a bunch of the big things. And not only that, there's a like this industry is so fast moving that in three to four months, the way you solve something before with JavaScript could have changed. There could be a better tool out there. So you need to go back and kind of quote unquote relearn or just use a different tool and know how to use tools. So the main thing that you want to get from tutorials is have a portfolio, have a project that you can show that you can be proud of, have something that you can, that shows that you can do something start to finish to your to the potential employers and yeah they might ask you some technical questions but again pre-prep interview pre-prep interview stuff exists pre-prep like uh, you know interview question prep exists that's how i would approach an interview process if I, if it was a technical one i would just you know do my usual like three four weeks of studying interview questions if that's the way that the company wants to go but i've taken a kind of a different approach with interviews recently uh because i've been interviewing a couple of people and i'm doing more of a process interview where i want to know your process so you have a problem you don't have to solve it for me live like here's the problem don't solve it for me how do you go about solving it like which steps are you going to take to solve it are you going to, you know, are you going to go on online immediately and Google the problem and see if there's any common solutions? Or are you going to sp spend, you know, an hour or two hours trying to solve it yourself before you do that? Like, I'm not saying one of these is wrong or whatever. I'm just saying, like, I, I want to know the process. I want to know that you're able to take a problem and then take certain steps to get to the solution. That's the more important thing to me rather than your knowledge of, like, every single piece of syntax in J JavaScript. Because... Unless, again, I've said this before, unless you have like a photographic memory, that knowledge is useless and it's actually hindering you from learning other things. I want you to be flexible because one week you might be working on JavaScript, the other week you might be working on CSS, the other week you might be working on PHP. That's how crazy this industry is sometimes, especially in small startups where everyone has to wear many hats. So to escape tutorial hell, you have to think of the job differently. Think of your goal differently. So... I always support project-based learning. I think that's the best way to learn, especially in the web development industry. Find a project, even a to-do list app. I know they've been, you know, set to death and uh, everyone keeps saying like, you know, every, every tutorial is a to-do list app. But there's a reason for that because it demonstrates so many different things. It's demonstrate the whole CRUD prop operation, right? Create, create, um, modify. I can't remember the whole CRUD acronym, but 
it that the CRUD acronym is what you need to show if you want to be a full stack developer. Or if you want to be any any of the sides of the development, if you want to show that you can like you know manip- uh, go from one field to another, go from one aspect to another aspect in the code, you can still focus on one or the other. But it's nice to see that you're able to handle multiple different facets of the code, and not only handle, understand. Because if you're a front end developer that understands the back end, maybe you're not, that's not your specialty. You're gonna code better in the front end because you're gonna know how the back end works enough for you to communicate with it in a better way. You're going to know that when you send a, re- a request, something has to happen. Like multiple things has to happen. There has to be some authentication potentially. There has to be uh, some processing of your request. And then there has to be a response to your request. And that response could be many different things. You knowing that process is going to make you a better developer. That's why I always think that like if you're going into the web development industry, it is a good idea to kind of familiarize yourself a little bit with each section. Again, some of it can be really, you know, just external visualization, maybe just using a library here and there. Uh, it doesn't, you don't have to delve into it like 1200 hours into Node.js. Like that's not a requirement. That That's kind of where I'm at with this. Like I'm not a huge, I think tutorials have their purpose when you have something, an end goal. Whereas if you go into it being like, I just want to learn all the different things, that's, I don't think you're going to get anywhere. That's a really good point because if you think about it, if you're a person that just wants to make money in the industry, one of the most effective ways to make money right now is just straight up WordPress. And you can you can actually make money with WordPress without any PHP knowledge, without any actual coding knowledge. You can absolutely spin up plugins. You can become a specialist in spinning up plugins and using templates and themes and all the rest of the things that WordPress has at its disposal. And you can for sure make some money from that. Uh, absolutely. And you can become good at it, good at it as well. Uh, I know that if you're, if you're not, if you're experienced with coding, but you're inexperienced with WordPress, then you will struggle. It's not like the coder is just going to have a super easy time with WordPress. You know, there's skills to be learned literally everywhere. And then some people will only use their own custom templates with WordPress and they'll use WordPress just as a CMS with the odd plugin to help them out as well. And so, and that, and we're just talking about WordPress. Like there's, there's a rabbit hole here just talking about WordPress. And so, yeah, that's a good way to basically sum it up is everything's a rabbit hole and you just can't learn it all. There's so many CMS out there, so many libraries, so many different tools. There's just no way for you to keep up with it all. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Show me that you could finish a project from start to finish. That's and show me show me your process for learning that's all i really need to know that you're a good worker or not right exactly um i think that's a good capstone to that and i think it's time to uh tackle this web news so this was going to be our web news last week and uh, we just ran out of time so web news apple's own silicon uh which basically means that they will be not using intel processors um, moving forward, I know there's a transitionary plan. There's some Intel-based Macs that are still in the pipeline, of course, stuff like that. But uh, for the Mac, they want to use their own silicon, and they'll be using the uh, the ARM. Uh, in was it infrastructure? What 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 do they call that? Architecture. Architecture. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. Um, so they'll be using ARM, ARM, and uh, this is a. Well, I want to. I was gonna say a far cry, but it's a difference from the x86 uh that we're used to basically um now 
I got a couple of questions, and I'm just going to kind of throw them in there. Uh, I know that this is more of a tech conversation than a web developer conversation, but many of you out there are using Macs, I'm sure, and many of you out there are using Windows as well. So it's kind of an interesting conversation as to where tech in general may be going. So uh, what does this mean for Apple? What does it mean? What, both they're using their own silicon. What does it mean? What is, it, is it good? Is it bad? What is it? Uh, what does it mean for the PC market? And what I mean by that is everything. So Windows, Linux machines, other machines. What does it mean? Also, uh, does this mean that Windows and Microsoft specifically, because that's a big question, they're a big piece of the market, uh, will they try and move away from x86? And will they go ARM-based? And will everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean other devices, move away from x86? So if we think about it, um, AMD recently made Ryzen, and Ryzen's x86-based, and that's sort of their return to the PC gaming market and return to uh, being used a bunch, basically. Uh, and then also the consoles, I believe, well, the PS4 and the Xbox One for sure are x86, but uh, I don't remember if the ps5 and xbox series x are i'm I'm like 99 percent sure they are but i just never read it read that i've only really seen their promo videos for the announcements so you know are the consoles gonna have to go arm as well uh now one of the big benefits of arm is of course battery life so that's something to keep into consideration and to be honest i don't really know any other benefit. I know that currently, in general, you can get, if, if power is off the table, you can get, like, power in terms of electricity usage. You can get more power out of an x86 processor than you can out of an ARM, but that is quickly dissolving-ish. Like, I know that the, the Apple silicon is pretty damn powerful. Like, the trope always was, you use ARM in a phone because... Use ARM in a phone because it has a battery and it needs to be conscious of that. And so you use ARM in a phone because you want to have the battery life because that's really critical because you're not plugging in a phone all the time generally. Whereas in a computer, like I have a big tower here or even my laptop, it's like, well, it has a big battery, but for the most part, you're supposed to be kind of, it's basically like a mobile desktop. You're supposed to be plugging it in for the most part. You're not really using it. And then something like an iPad, which is sort of arguably a laptop-ish device now, runs ARM because it has needs the battery life. But then the iPads, especially the iPad Pros, and even my iPad, which is a 7th gen, is, like, pretty, da- pretty damn powerful. So, like, what's this mean? Like, this is a big, this is a big change, a big toss-up. Uh, we know that Microsoft, with Windows 8, had Windows RT. Like, in that era, we had Windows RT. That ran on ARM. And that did not go well. The reason why that is, is because x86 programs can't run natively on ARM. Now, there's ways to convert it and there's all the rest of it. Yes, I understand. But in general, it's like I can't just take an x86 program and be like, I'm just going to make this run on Android. Like, I'll just make it run. You know, you'd have to do some stuff. It has to have a converter on board. I I assume that's a chip or like whatever it is. Um, I know that Apple is calling it Rosetta 2. Um... But that's the big problem, where where Windows RT just didn't have the apps. And it was like, oh, you're limited to the Windows Store or the Microsoft Store or whatever it was, where the, where Microsoft has their apps. And it was sort of like, well, I don't have any of my apps for my Windows, so 
I mean, I I guess my surface lasts longer. <laughs> That's about it. Like my surface lasts longer, and I can't really use much. Um. So. Yeah, that's just sort of a little bit of backstory for people that aren't into chips and that type of thing. So this is a big, like, this is big, potentially. This could push the market. Uh, this could... This is big. <laughs> I, I don't really know what else to say. Like, this is a big big difference. Yeah, so this is a big, this is a big thing that, that's been happening, that that's been known to happen. Like, it's going to happen for the last two years or so. Like there was, you know, references in code and there's a lot of leaks going on that Apple was developing specific silicon for their MacBooks, right? So we've known that this is going to happen. Um, now they've announced it and they showed some demonstrations. So the biggest thing that I took away from this was the demonstrations that they showed. The performance of the demonstrations, and this can be taken with an asterisk or whatever, was really, really good. Like way, way better than I was expecting. Because again, it is ARM. It is meant for low power devices. But Apple has been very secretively and intensely working on creating ARM, like making ARM a powerful architecture. Unfortunately, it's only been Apple. So like the compare, you can't compare Apple Silicon right now to anything like uh, Qualcomm Silicon, which is what powers most Android devices. Uh, or there's Huawei, like the current, the Kirin, uh, Silicon, Samsung Exynos. Those are all kind of different variations of ARM process architecture. And to be clear, there is a Windows 10 X, which runs on ARM, but Microsoft doesn't make their own Silicon. They, they no, purchase it Qualcomm. from Qualcomm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Qualcomm chip. But again, none of, you can't compare those to what Apple has created for their iPad Pros, like those chips are extremely efficient and extremely powerful. They go for, they go they for a rip. Like they go for a rip. Yeah. yeah. Like, and what they showed in the demonstration on their, on their live uh, keynote was the same chip that's in the current iPad Pro, like the highest end iPad Pro. I can't remember what it's called. It's a code name. Uh, but running at like a higher power usage, essentially. So it's the same chip running a little bit more powerful because it's it's able to draw. Like it, it was shown on an iPad mini uh, or sorry, not an iPad mini, a, a Mac mini. So it was embedded into a Mac mini. So obviously it has a little more power than a MacBook. So with that, they were able to do, like you were saying, the Rosetta 2 emulation using a chip that looked and felt like a native application from what I saw. They were showing, I think, Maya 3D, which is an uh, AutoCAD, uh, Autodesk application that does 3D rendering. Like you do your modeling and stuff like that for movies and games in that, in Maya. And it was running pretty damn well with a lot of different points and stuff. Like I, I personally know, like don't know how they did that. Was there, the other thing that I'm questioning is like, were they using their own graphics or was that AMD graphics? Have you heard anything about that, Matt? Like, I haven't figured out if it was like graphics and processor on a chip, APU style. I thought it, I it... thought it was. I thought it was that. I thought it was just the Apple Silicon. So there's like to clear to clarify for people that aren't computer aficionados that there is like, I have a desktop beside me. It's a few years old, but like the general form factor is you have your CPU, among other components, but you have your CPU, and then I have a dedicated chip or a board. That's my GPU graphics. So. 
One's for central processing unit CPU, and one's graphical processing unit. So that'll pro though that GPU is used for games and everything else. But in many things, you only have that CPU, and that's more or less considered an APU. Uh, I forget what the acronym means, but basically what it means is there's a there's an integrated like GPU in there. That's what Intel integrated graphics is. Is you just have the one chip, and then it just outputs to whatever. But that's why generally they can't play games very well because it's not like a big big chip. Like a big uh, GPU. Yeah. So if that's the case, I have absolutely no idea how they're doing this. Because they not only did they show serious 3D rendering applications like Maya, they showed a game running, like a Windows game, not a Mac game. On, on uh, Shadow 2. of the Tomb Raider. Uh, at, I think above 30 FPS at 1080p. And they said so that all of this was without even trying. That's what I don't understand. That's without converting anything. That's native, regular x86 level applications. That's not anything developed for ARM. So yeah. this is what I'm not understanding. Uh, the disconnect in my eyes is how are they getting this performance? Is it a software trick? Like, did they develop a new way of emulating that somehow boosts performance? Is that what they're? Is that their trick, or is their processor so powerful that it's able to emulate x86 at such a high level? Um, I, it might be a little bit of both. I was right? wondering, like, like not- there's binary converters. Um, which I believe are, and don't quote me, I believe they're hardware chips. And I was wondering, is, is there like a Rosetta 2 chip or is Rosetta 2 software? I'm not sure. I actually it, don't it, know. It's probably a chip. I think, I think there is a chip. That's what, that was my uh, understanding of it during the keynote. I think it is a chip. So what they want to do, why, why we're talking about all this, is that as soon as they launch these Macs that have ARM processors... They want every application that's currently available in the Mac in the Mac Store, and there's another thing that they're they're adding is the Apple Store, the uh, the App Store on the iOS devices. They want all those applications to be available day one, regardless, irregardless of if the person that is maintaining the application has gone in and used their proprietary uh, conversion application in Xcode, which is the Apple developer software. So. There have two methods of doing this. One is like literally do nothing and they'll use Rosetta 2. Or two, the other method is they have proprietary uh, conversion techniques in there. That's, it's, I don't think it's a one-click convert, but it's like a very minimal hands-on converting process where it converts it from x86 to ARM architecture and therefore the performance should be better. So any developers, like I think Microsoft has gone in there and already done it. Like they already have ARM versions of all of their applications for Mac OS. Um, that's one thing that I know on, on the keynote they were saying and everything runs really smooth and battery life is good, but they, that wasn't enough for them. They made, they wanted to make sure before they could release this, that every application in their ecosystem runs, uh, including iOS applications, which brings up another point. And this is a more of a UX web development point. If every single iOS application will be supported from day one, that means almost 100% the new MacBooks will have a touchscreen, which is something mm. that they've said many times they will never do. But there's no way that they can support iOS applications because almost all of them are designed for only touchscreen support, uh, and you need multi, multi, you know, multi mm. gestures and stuff like that to use some iPad of them, like OS, basic functionality. Though, they now have a touch cursor. That's what I'm saying. So, in my opinion, that's their indication that they're they're going to be using both in the new Max, because iPadOS has a cursor. Now they're trying to Im- blend the systems. They're not going to be the, they're not going to be the same operating system, 
but the systems will be blended enough where uh, a macOS app will work on iPadOS and an iPad app or an iOS app will work on macOS. But to do that, regardless of uh, Mac, you know, iPadOS, not, a, not every application is optimized for iPadOS with cursor right now, nor will it be in a year from now. It's going to be very small number it of is applications. A niche, it is a niche case like that, that trackpad that the official, the official uh, Apple one the trackpad with the uh, the case and the keyboard, that thing is freaking expensive. Yeah. That thing it's is a ludicrously damn expensive. expensive. But you can get like a Logitech one for cheaper and stuff like that. And you right. can just use a regular mouse too. So Which I have used it, and it's pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, it is pretty nice. I've used it on my iPad as well. And like, that's the thing. So in my opinion, their new MacBook will have a touchscreen because it will be able to use any of the iPad o- iOS or iPadOS applications, it'll be able to use all the iOS applications or macOS applications, sorry, uh, right from day one. Plus, it's going to obviously have its own proprietary applications that are only going to run on ARM. That's the other thing. If you buy a MacBook right now, any application that will be written for only ARM, you're not going to get. So any updates, let's say that uh, they decide not to update Xcode anymore for non-ARM processors. Xcode, again, is the development tool, like the IDE, mm-hmm. to write iOS applications mm-hmm. or macOS applications for that matter. So that's the only way you can write them. You can't use VS Code. You can't use your own like IDE. You have to use Xcode. If they decide, hey, you know what? We're going to support it for one or two versions after this for x86, and then we're going to stop supporting it. That's it. You're not going to get any more updates for Xcode. But on your they, current- do, they do have Intel-based Macs in the pipe, like in the pipeline, yes. like there's going to be more coming out. And Apple's very good with updates, especially in the iOS sphere, where old, 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 old phones get updates. Whereas Android, it's like, you bought a $2,000 phone. Thanks for your two years of service. Now get rid of that and buy a new one. Um, So I can't, I, I can't see them discontinuing support very quick. And I think you're, if you buy, and this is just an estimate, if you buy a Mac now, here's the, here's, here's the issue. As Here's a buyer beware from my own head. If you were to say buy one now, you're like, wow, Apple's moving to a new architecture. I need a MacBook today. I'm going to go out to the store and buy an x86 one because it's supported. But now you don't have sort of the latest and greatest. So some people don't care, but I would be like, hmm, this is kind of weird. Like, it's a weird time to buy, right? It'd be like, I want the latest phone. I'm going to go buy the Note 10 the day before the Note 20 comes out. You know, if money was no object, that's a weird thing to do. So what? You had the latest phone for one day? That's weird, right? So I guess the the question is, is it's like, I'm going to, you might want to get the ARM one. They might get the Apple Silicon one. But then, then you have a computer that has a new architecture that, where you might be limited on some apps like Rosetta two is great. It's a good, good idea. It makes those Intel based apps run, but there's more than likely going to be some problems. You know, it's not going to be, it is like they even said here, uh, to read it. I'm on the overview about the Rosetta translation environment on, uh, the developer.apple.com. And it literally says just one of the sentences here. It says it is not a substitute for creating a native version of your app. Meaning that, you know, they're trying exactly. to say like, Hey guys, please make an ARM version. So there is going to be like some drop off in terms of performance or whatever else happens. So then now you have a Mac that is not fully 
supported. Although we'll see how supported it is. But like then you have a Mac that's effectively not fully supported. So now this is sort of like, in my opinion, the worst time to buy a Mac. And that might be, you know, it could be totally unfounded. It could be the point where you buy an Intel-based Mac. It gets supported for 10 years. It's freaking donezo. You know, the keys are wearing out. You need to buy a new one. And now ARM is just the on the rage. And you just buy one of the Apple Silicon ones, and then that's it. And you had support the whole time. You used your you used your thing until it couldn't be used anymore, and you just move on. And the, the, it was seamless, and that was it. But you could you could hypothetically have uh, app developers just say, no, I'm only supporting the the, Sil- the Apple Silicon one. I'm not going to support like they themselves make the decision. I'm not going to support the old ones. Now, I don't think it goes backwards. I don't think the ARM ones have a Rosetta thing to go back no. no they don't to the intel so like so if someone is a smaller company and they just say oh, i'm seeing an adoption rate that's pretty high i don't care about the intel max anymore which i mean probably not the case probably not going to happen for a while but um so to clear i think to clarify from what i understood in the keynote uh building applications like if you're starting to build an application from scratch right now uh the building process d- doesn't really change when you're building it right now for ARM, when you go to uh, release it on the stores, you're able to release from one code base on both platforms without much or very little difference in code. So it might be it, this might be a moot point that that pro- that problem, um, right? As far as I know, and I don't know how long that's going to last either. Like this could be like a one or two year thing, and then they'll release an Xcode version where you can differentiate. Or there is a pretty big difference because they're, they're learning how to, you know, get the most out of the ARM processors and they're less focused on the ICE, the Intel processors. Um, so it's a really complicated problem. And I think you're right. This is a really weird time to buy a Mac. Um, in, in fact, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So I have a MacBook 2013, like it's an old MacBook. Like it's, I don't know how, it's, it's like seven years old now, um, seven plus, and it still works fine. What my intention is, unless it breaks, I'm going to use it until 2022 because that's when they said that all of their MacBook lineup and iMac lineup and Mac lineup will be converted to uh, ARM. Mm -hmm. They said 2022 is the year that every device is ARM-based that they're going to release, and that'll be two years of progress from now. So there might be some kinks worked out by then, and that's when I would buy a new computer. So that's what I'm going to do. As long as my MacBook doesn't like physically break where I can't repair it anymore, mm. I'm going to wait those two years uh, because the advantage is right now I can't travel anyway, so I don't use it very much. I can't go to a coffee shop because of COVID, can't use it very much. So I, I use it for specific Apple-related things sometimes, but even then my my computer is a Hackintosh, so I can switch to iOS or macOS anytime I want and you know compile my applications and then switch back to Windows. So... I don't have a super need for it, so that's why I'm, I have the luxury of doing that. Uh, as long again, as long as the uh, MacBook doesn't die. If the MacBook dies completely, then I'll reconsider. Um, but I, I hope, like, I mean, it hasn't died yet, so I, I, th- I think I, I should be good for another two years. Another thing to consider too is Windows is still running x86 primarily. Windows 10x is sort of like a small bit of it. Most people are running Windows 10, so if an app developer will, and, and most of the time will have an app that's coded for Windows, then they already have an x86 version ready. So you're doubly right about it maybe being a mute point where like 
may, most people aren't going to be, most app devs aren't going to be like, nah, I don't need that x86 version. I'm stopping support. I'm only going to use the mm-hmm. Apple Silicon because they probably already have something in their pipeline. So the other thing with the ARM-based MacBooks is they're no longer going to support boot camp. So you're no longer going to be able to run Windows and Mac OS at the same oh, time right. uh, on two different uh, partitions. What's going to happen now is what they've said is they're only going to be supporting other operating systems. They didn't specifically say Windows through virtualization. I mean, Which, they're not going to they're not going to give Microsoft a shout out other than for their software, like they did in the they gave, they mentioned Microsoft in their presentation, but they're not going to be like, yeah. yeah, run Windows on this thing, you know? They're not going to. Yeah, they didn't mention that, but they did specifically say that the boot boot camp will not be supported on new MacBooks moving forward. Damn. So that's another consideration if you're someone that runs both operating systems. If, if you if you're somebody um, who games, you're possibly in trouble. Possibly it depends because, um, again, this move to emulating and using Rosetta to convert x86 and the performance that they showed, again, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, is that is that even a macOS game? I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it right I now. I thought it was the I thought it was the Windows version that they showed though, but I'm not sure. No, I think it I think it is on macOS. Oh, it is yeah, on it Mac. is on macOS. But regardless, regardless okay, so it's being translated. It's being translated. It's over. being translated from macOS x86 to macOS ARM, uh, and the performance was very good. Again, for a for a chip that is supposed to be designed for low power devices. Like still, you got to remember that the chip that they showed is the thing that they're the same exact chip that they're using inside of their current iPad Pros, which are thin and light devices. So if they, you know, mature their process a little bit and build a chip that's designed for high power devices like MacBooks and iMacs and uh, Mac Minis, like something with a bit more cooling power and stuff like that, we could be looking at considerable performance improvements on top of that. So you could be looking at being able to run something like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which is a very high-end, graphically intensive game. How does that at sixty, at seventy FPS? How does that work with a dedicated GPU? Though aren't like GPUs meant for the the architecture that they like? Isn't a GP? I don't actually know. Is it, if I buy a dedicated GPU today for a PC, obviously it works with x86. Like talking about a Windows PC, it, wor- it works on x86. But if I buy one for an apple for an apple silicon mac and there's let's say a pcie slot and i put it in there is it going to know how to talk to arm or is it going to use rosetta like how does that work i absolutely have no idea that's what that's what i'm really the the most confusion i have is how are they doing the graphical side of this is like because i know the the obviously the one on the ipad pro has a graphics processor inside of it um i just didn't think it was that powerful I think Again, they said a, the iPad Pro is as powerful as the Xbox One S. Okay. I, now, please check that. I, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that that was said, but I'm not sure on that. Um, But I remember somebody talking about that. And, I mean, the Xbox One S is being replaced soon. Yes. To be fair. Um, so, I don't know what their... I don't know what their idea... Like, are they cutting off their relationship with AMD then completely as well? Is that the deal? Like, so AMD was doing their graphics this entire time. Uh, their ATI Radeon division is that does that mean that both Intel and AMD are now being cut off for just strictly Apple ARM or is you think so probably have well I was going to say you'd probably get a hint if you were to get that developer uh, uh, Mac mini so to to clarify to everybody they have like the I think it's the A13 chip which is what runs in the iPad Pro 
Um, and I think a couple other devices too. Uh, but anyway, the A13 chip is going to be inside of a Mac mini and that's going to be the developer thing. You have to apply and then they'll send it to you and you can, uh, then, you know, have an, a Mac or an Apple Silicon Mac. So you can start messing around with ARM with your, with your processor. However, that is not the processor that they're going to be releasing as far as I know into max like consumer max this is very much a exactly. developer mac mini that's like hey you want to mess with arm here you go but they, like that's what they mean by they're not trying it's like oh we didn't actually try on the pc side yet we're not really showing that off yet here's our a13 chip but the but the chip we're going to be releasing later this year hopefully is going to be better and that's going to be like the first mac running apple silicon yeah so I've heard that they're going to have a MacBook Pro and an iMac as their first two devices. That sounds about Whether right. that's a 15-inch or a 16-inch MacBook Pro or a 13-inch MacBook Pro, I'm not sure. Um, I actually, my thought was that they would start with the iPad or the MacBook Air. I thought that that would be their first device on the ARM chip but or the regular MacBook even. But I guess they're going straight for like the higher performance tier. They might, they might, be, trying to, they might be trying to show, like they might need something powerful because... Um, they showed off things like Final Cut, I think, and other and other uh, high intensity professional programs. And so you're not going to be like, yeah, our silicon's great. Here's an here's an a, an a, a MacBook Air with Apple Silicon at a lower tier. Run Final Cut on it. You know, they they I think they need to hit the high note. But I agree with you. Like it makes more sense in terms of the battery life because we always hear about ARM and battery life. But it, it I think it's going to be quickly to macbook air but i think they need to hit high first high performance first then they can start getting those other little little devices if you can call them that yeah out of the way i'm i'm really curious i've i'm wondering how much that developer kit's gonna be um do you have to pay for that or or do they just send it to you because i don't know yeah it's gonna be expensive as hell yeah you're gonna have to pay for <sighs> it and it's not gonna be like consumer level pricing either because it's only it's meant for only developers like that have current existing mac os applications or have mac os applications that they're creating in the future how does this affect people who just started learning how to code on a mac and i mean code I on a mac matters. is in code for a mac so i don't think like like i said it's not the coding process that's going to be different it's literally the compiling so it's going to compile the same code base to to arm so the compiler is different not the coding like the languages are all the same the logic is all the same interesting okay i didn't yeah, know that so i don't that's why i think it's going to be so easy for developers to go in there and create an arm version of their app and then they'll have to test it and there might be some quirks yeah. and they may have to change some instructions around or something exactly because it's, it's not like the, what windows did because when windows was releasing like going from x86 to arm uh back in the windows rt days they had a whole different you know coding language essentially that you had to use to create an application you couldn't take your existing x86 application and create a uh, arm based application out of it in any simple way like you could maybe reuse some logic and stuff that you've created but for the most part you're rewriting your entire code base because how windows wanted to do it was like make it more efficient battery life etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but our window like apple is doing it Probably the smart way where like they want to just be able to compile to both. I don't know how they're doing it. Again, it's just, it's beyond me how they're actually accomplishing these tasks. 
Because like I don't understand the performance aspect of it. I don't understand the video graphics aspect of it. And I don't understand the compiling aspect of it. I just know that that's their intention. That's what they're showing off. That's what they're saying. Um, I'm really curious. That's why I'm curious to get one of these developer Mac uh, Mac minis. But I don't think I don't think it's going to be in the affordable range. I think it's going to be you know three to five thousand dollars. I am actually on the opposite side of that. I think that this is going to be one of the cheaper products because the a13 it already exists they're they even said they're not trying it's a mac mini but, it's not a mac tower and but they don't want the general public to get their hands on it i think that they don't quote unquote and the gate will be like three to five hundred maybe a thousand because it's there's your quote-unquote apple tags if you will like if but i to me though they want devs to do this if the devs get get screwed like the their monetization is their bread and butter is the app store they get a piece of the subs on there they get a piece of the, obviously the app sales on there they get they get a piece they get a big piece um or they get a lot of money from all the pieces so i think that they're going to make this one the reason why it's the a13 is because they don't want the, the people to get a hold of it but it's the a13 they don't they don't care this isn't like a prototype of the next chip that they're going to actually release. Because I think they know someone is just willing to, like a website, is just going to freaking buy it. And they're just going to tear it down. Like there's going to be an iFixit teardown maybe or something. Mm-hmm. And so, because, so like, what are you going to show off? Look, this is the A13, guys. All right, this is the end of the video. <laughs> like, like, Yeah. I think my, if, if it's under $1,000, I'll seriously consider buying it. Interesting just to play around with it, just to see how the ARM stuff works. Cause I'm really curious on that aspect of it. Like it would just be a, also a cool piece of history probably in the future to have. To like, yeah. Like the flip over. Cause the last yeah. time they did, it was like what from power PC. Yeah. So I, I, I'd, I don't think it's going to be under a thousand dollars, but if it is, I'll, I'll consider it now for sure. There's a lot of, uh, rumor hate i don't know what you'd call it around windows and arm and i'll clarify that so 10x i've heard a lot of people say and these are just random youtubers say in passing and stuff that 10x is supposedly a app like they want to lock it down they want to lock down the app store they windows wants control they don't want you to have all your x86 programs they very much want 10x to be the future and I've always kind of wondered, like, why do they think that that's the direction? They said, like, oh, like Windows 10 is there as, like, sort of a, hey, you know, Windows 8 didn't go over so well. Here's Windows 10. It's more tra- more traditional. By the way, here's Windows 10X. And they there's some people on YouTube that honestly believe that that is the future of – that that might be the, the, the future of Windows 10 and just Windows is – ARM, Microsoft has it locked down. They have the apps. They control everything. But I kind of see that. See, what's weird is people are complaining about that. There's like hate toward that idea. But then it's like Apple with like Apple Silicon. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know? And so Microsoft would. Okay, number one, if Microsoft's plan is to go to ARM, they'd be playing the catch up game for a long damn time. A long time. It, they might not even be 
the one making the silicon, they might like help Qualcomm or maybe the Qualcomm is just going to now make a really good ARM chip or like, you know, whatever, like this might push ARM forward across the board. And then if Windows, which has like a lot of apps out there that are just randomly available on websites and also available in the Microsoft store or like, you know, there's a lot of apps for Windows and people get things running too. Even stuff that was meant for Windows 98, they might mess around a little bit and get it running. Those type of apps are all going to be gone. They're gone. They're going to be gone. And so... Which is the majority. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot in there that's going to be gone. So the question is, is like... I don't know. I think the ARM strategy... Like, I feel like people... I feel like the whole computing industry might go to ARM as a result of this. They might just be like, I'm going to copy Apple. I'm going to do that. But... I don't, well, they can't, no, they can't currently, but I'm wondering whether, okay, A, if they try, and they try, like, immediately, if they try to push it, they're going to be behind, and now there's a problem, where now there's an incentive to buy a Mac and not a PC, Uh, but I honestly don't think that's the strategy. Yeah, I think, I think x86 processing, like, for Ryzen and Intel is still the future for computers and PCs um for the at least foreseeable future like 10 years uh, but like wh- what's the benefit of going to arm anyway your pc especially the, the especially or consoles like we mentioned the consoles your console is is plugged in short of you going mobile what i want to know and the, the, maybe there are tangible benefits that we haven't researched right we're just having a general conversation on this but like battery life is a real big one on arm but like what is the are they going to push out x86 just because it's old? Are they going to do that? Or is it going to be something where... Well, this is what I'm curious about. Like, my, my thing with, with Apple's ARM, Apple Silicon ARM, is that their performance is so ridiculously better than everything else on the market. So are they going to be able to give us PC-level performance in the first generation right off the bat? And then, you know, slowly make that even better. And that's going to be the competing structure is like it's literally going to be performance versus performance, not so much battery life or whatever. That's just going to be a side effect of it. So I think the why Apple is doing it is that they see their process actually competing and performing better than the Intel alternative in multiple different facets of uh, the ecosystem. Whereas with Windows, they're stuck with Qualcomm right now. And for the foreseeable future, and they don't have like they their roadmap isn't anywhere near apples. And well, to, to so, be to be fair too, like we should probably mention the fact that the motive one of the main motivations, one of the main motivations for Apple moving is because Apple is very much a hardware and software company. They design they used to design their own like actual circuit boards and stuff. Or they do they design their own circuit boards and then they also make the hardware. Whereas Windows is like here's a software that runs on stuff and then. We go, we as PC builders run out and we grab all the different components and put it together. Whereas you don't do that with a, with a Mac. You don't, you don't go out and buy the components and then shove it all together and make it. You go to Apple and Apple through Apple directly or Apple reseller gives you like, here's a Mac of whatever type, MacBook, full out Mac, iMac, like, Hey, we built, we designed it. We built it. Here you go, bud. And then, but it was using third party components, but they kind of put it all together and there were problems that arose with intel chips like there were some glitches and there were some problems and then there would be like delays so like intel would be delayed and like apple would want this generation of intel processor in like in time for their release it would get delayed and then now they have 
they had to put last generations in or a generation back from what they wanted. And then Intel would then in a few months, you know, whatever, really, I'm just talking in generalities, would then release the next generation because it's ready now. And now those Macs are like, people are thinking like, oh, that's back a gen now, you know? So it was just sort of like, this is Apple kind of taking control of its future, which which makes sense because they've always been about hardware and the software. But like even, even on the Android train, like Android is very much along the, PC x86 train. I understand Android's running ARM, but like I'll explain that. So it's like Android is running on a bunch of different phones. Mike has an Asus phone. I have a Samsung phone. Uh, you know, people have people have whatever else phones out there. Uh, LG phones, whatever, and they're all different ish. But and they're all different components, and some of them are Samsung components, and some of them are this, or some of them are that. And there's Samsung components and iPhones and stuff like that. But like the Android market is closer to the PC market. It's just they're using ARM for the battery life. Maybe some other tangible things as well, but the battery life and maybe the heat management or whatever. But it's like a mobile thing. Whereas the PC is like very close to the Android in terms of it just being a smorgasbord where, you know, I could go I could go this time and buy a Lenovo laptop. I could go later and buy uh, an HP laptop. I could go later and buy uh, like a, a Lenovo of a different series, which is like totally different. It's not a locked down five or six type of PCs. This is weird. This is a weird time, actually, if I'm, if yeah, I'm being honest. There's a lot, there's a lot happening. Like, is this going to be the headphone jack where people are going to be like, eh, we don't need X86. And then I don't think is so. that going to, sh- I think it's more complicated than that. I think that's, that's my problem is like, if it was that the headphone jack is easy, you just take it out and then replace it. and yeah, that's it. Whereas x86 and ARM replacement, you have to the architecture and the software has to line up, and it's just not there. Like Qualcomm's just not there yet. Kirin's just not there yet. Uh, Exynos is not there. Like there's no competitors to Apple. It's just the truth. And Ryzen is only becoming better. So like if there was like a down downturn in the x86 place. I would say yes, there could be a chance, but Ryzen's becoming better and Intel will at some point fire back and create an even like potentially better chip than what Ryzen is. So there's going to be that competition still going. I don't see on a meaningful level like Intel computers or uh, Windows computers switching to the majority of them switching to ARM. Again, I would say a 10-year mark is, is a confident estimate. There will be absolutely Windows computers on ARM processors, um, but I don't see it. I don't see it taking over like with Apple. Apple has thought about this for years. They have planned this out. They again, like you said, they build their their best when they build the hardware and the software at together as a team and get everything possible out of both. That's their that's where they're best. And like you said already, Windows is not like that. Windows cannot build the hardware and the software. They have their own Surface devices, yes, but the bulk of their money comes from the third-party guys like yes, Lenovo the and bul- everyone else. Exactly, bulk of their money is uh, software, and bulk bulk of their money is licensing and stuff like that, and AI like Azure. Like they're not in the same realm exactly as Apple when we when we talk about this stuff. So. Maybe they're going to try to get there. Like, again, Surface was their step towards the Apple lineup. Like, that was their foot forward. But look, they're, they're closing all of their Microsoft stores. 
something we didn't talk about before. Like they opened up Microsoft stores to compete with Apple stores. Now they weren't exactly like the same purpose. Uh, they just wanted to have a presence and for people to see Windows and the new branding and all that. I mean, I mean, in, in um, the case of a, a local mall, they were literally almost. I think they either were neighbors, like there was an Apple and then a Microsoft yeah. store, or very close, like one door down or something. Exactly. In the mall, yeah, that was their intention. Like they wanted Apple users to see their new branding and see where they're going, and it worked for the most oh, yeah. part. Like it did, it did switch some Apple users, but they're closing all that down, so they they're taking a different direction. I, and I think that direction is more of a software direction. Uh, and stuff like that. So I don't, again, I don't think that they're going to be locking down their Windows platform to only ARM. That That's kind of where I'll end it with it because I don't know, obviously. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is a fascinating time. Uh, and I think that it's going to benefit Macs quite a bit. I hope that we don't have people imitating them just for the sake of imitating them. But this could this could become a really big step forward for ARM which would affect us all in terms of our cell phones. And it really could become like a huge, we could see a huge boost in, in general cell phone performance, even on the Android side of things, uh, just because people are going to, you know, see the innovations that Apple does. And then they'll Qualcomm and them will try to imitate them or catch up or, I mean, and vice versa, Qualcomm might have a good, whatever system. And then Apple might take that and just like everything else. Right. So this is an interesting, uh, sort of, this is an interesting, exciting, weird, and scary time for computing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of where I'll leave that. That's kind of my capstone. Unless you have anything else yeah. to add, Mike. Nope. Nope. Roll her up. All right. Well, uh, I mean, if you have any, uh, if you have any sort of, I guess, feedback or like thoughts, or if you know anything more about like the GPU inside of the, the GPU inside of the. Uh, what do you call it inside of that Mac mini or inside of this, inside of this whole ARM thing? Like some of the questions that Mike and I had, I'm just kind of talking in generals, but some of the questions that Mike and I had, or if you have any more insight, uh, it, please let us know. Cause we, you know, we dabble in chips and stuff like that, but we're not experts in that, especially in architectures and stuff like that. Uh, also, uh, before I run the conclusion, uh, the giveaway. So as a part of our hundredth episode, uh, celebration, which was last week, as I mentioned, we will be giving away a course. So we're going to give a course away, uh, from West Boss. West Boss is uh, one of the hosts of the Syntax Podcast. If you don't already listen to that, go check them out. Uh, we're going to be giving away one of those courses. And now, full disclosure, we will be purchasing the course. He's not giving it to us. This isn't sponsored by him or in any way. We're purchasing it and giving it away uh, to a, a, a viewer. So what we're going to do is this going to be a Twitter, a, a, I don't know why I said it that way, a Twitter giveaway. Uh, basically, we'll announce you know very specific things, but in the, for the most part, you will need to be following us. And then we're going to choose another goal, whether it be a retweet or something like that. But that will be announced in a tweet. So to be clear, we will be doing the giveaway sometime this week. So within seven days of this episode airing, uh, inclusive, to be clear, I'm going to be tweeting out. And you need to be followed. That's one. You need to be following us. That's one of the parameters. And then the other parameters will be announced in a tweet on Twitter because that's just the most appropriate place to do it. Uh, what you will get is you'll be able to choose again, a West boss course. You can choose one of the premium ones. Uh, I'll include a link to like the selection of courses that we're having in the giveaway. And you get to basically just choose one and we'll basically just give it away to you. Whoever wins. Um, at this time, I believe we're only going to have one winner, one chosen person. Uh, although that could change again, those, those very, very specifics will be in the tweet. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. Now we're at 
at HTML everything. You can also just search up HTML all the things and you should see us there. Uh, but again, the handle is at HTML everything. Go follow us now. And then you'll see the tweet. Hopefully, like, you know, turn on notifications, whatever you need to do. You'll see the tweet sometime within seven days of this episode airing inclusive. Okay. Uh, so the episode airs on Wednesday. And so it'll be Wednesday to Wednesday inclusive. Okay. So keep your eye out for that tweet. It'll have the more specific, you know, on Twitter details because it's a Twitter giveaway. And good luck. I hope you enjoy that. Again, make, make sure you follow us. At least, well, you should follow us now, but at least when the tweet comes out. <laughs> Just follow us now. And, uh, I mean, you can tell I'm new at giveaways. So, obviously. But, anyway, yeah. So, we'll be giving away that, that course. Good luck to you. I uh, hope you win it. And I uh, hope it helps somebody out that wants to learn some new stuff. But, as we always do, our conclusion. So, uh, remember on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things. And uh, we like to thank our $3 tier patrons. Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and I'm going to let this outro sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.